in a world where your uncle only has two hands, but you have four cocks. Uncle Touchy. Coming oh. whenever he wants. <laughs> All over your face, neck, and chest. Just when you thought it was safe to go back to bed. <laughs> Uncle Touchy. <laughs> How do, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. And I'm Michael. No, you're, you're Hollywood Mikkel. Beauty. <laughs> yeah. I refuse to acknowledge that. Listen, name. don't try to do my man Dark Temptation like that. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, no, Hollywood Beauty's gonna get it. I oh. believe so. So... This week, we are going to get into a actual listener request, and we are going to delve into the behavioral sink. Mm. And that is uh, not is that where you're sink, like an actual like basin. Like yeah. no, 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 it's not or where you're. Michael pronounce it sink. <laughs> um, I know how to pronounce sink. Okay? Sinka, you dead man. Listen, I lived in New York for five years. I know how to say bagel. That's painful. <laughs> there was a big escalation in that music, which is just a lot of fun. Uh, so, we're uh, we're going to dive into this nasty bit of nonsense here, but it was something that was requested by a listener, and I cannot not fulfill a request. So, you still haven't fulfilled mine. Yeah, well, there's wants and then there's no. Legality? Yeah, well. Sure. All right, Mary-Kate. So... Wait a minute. <laughs> the behavioral sink is a term invented by ethologist John B. Calhoun to describe. What the fuck is an Good luck with that. Do they, stuff, do they study E? Yes. Like the they, well, e? ethos, actually. Oh, ethos. Oh. To uh, describe a collapse in behavior which can result from overcrowding. So the term and concept derive from a series of overpopulation experiments Calhoun conducted on Norway rats between 1958 and 1962. In the experiments, Calhoun and his researchers created a series of rat utopias, enclosed spaces in which rats were given unlimited access to food and water, enabling unfettered population growth. Calhoun coined the term behavioral sink in his February 1st, 1962 report in an article titled Population Density and Social Pathology. Did they dress the rats up? Did no. they build them little cultures? I, I mean, they did build them little apartment structures. Because if you say that that didn't happen, then no fucking deal. I just... You guys don't have it in your head. Never mind. It's fine. Just I have a little picture in my head of all these rats wearing different little, like, suits or whatever. We'll and get going there, to John. Work. Okay, If you sorry. give me a moment, we'll build up to it. I mean, it's you don't fiction. start with the orgasm. Unlike your sex life, we want to actually have a little pleasure in Wait, you guys game. get orgasms? Yes. I order them online. <laughs> Sorry, Shane. Go ahead. Sorry, God. <laughs> so, uh, the general idea here, because I don't want to get into the actuality, because there's a long description of how they did this, but essentially, they make a square grid where, if you imagine, it's four separate cells. They separate two of the cells with an electrified fence. So there's a little segment of the fence that is electrified to keep, uh, essentially, the folks from cell one, which is the upper left tier, 
and cell 4 from having easy access to one another. So there's a single strip that connects cell 1 and 4, and then cells 2 and 3 are on the right-hand side. They are each connected to one another by two little sort of bridges. So this is how they've kind of configured this. And then they have these uh, little housing complexes, which are kind of rat's nests, that are five stories tall, which is where all of the nests are created, where they will raise and rear their offsprings. It's kind of their hovel that they go back to live to. So just to give you a picture of how they describe this thing. Now, uh, Calhoun's work became used as an um, uh, animal model of societal collapse, and his study has become a touchstone of urban sociology and psychology in general. In a 1962 edition of Scientific American, Calhoun presented the results of his series of experiments conducted at the National Institute of Mental Health, NIM. That's N-I-M-H. With his experiment, Calhoun hoped to address the casual impact of vice, or social behavior of a species, on their population growth. Calhoun indicated that often those studying population control, meaning how much a population is allowed to grow within its own sort of confines by the environment it chooses, etc. They will point to predation, which is the number of species that feed on a species or, you know, utilize them as prey, disease, and the availability of food as the primary forces that impact a population density. He, however, believed that vice was more impactful, if not equally impactful, uh, than any of the other forces. To test his theory, he placed rats in a laboratory in a converted barn, where, protected from disease and predation, and supplied with food, water, and bedding, they would breed rapidly. Uh, The one thing they were lacking was space, a fact that became increasingly problematic as what he liked to describe as his rat city and rodent utopia teemed with animals. Unwanted social contact occurred with increasing frequency, leading to increased stress and aggression. In systems with a behavioral sink, he indicated that the highest concentration of animals was in the bins established for feeding and later drinking. As such, Eating, drinking, and other biological activities were thereby transformed into social activities, in which the principal satisfaction was interaction with other rats. So, to break this down into a more simplified method. Whereas a rat, typically when they feed, they just do so whenever they feel the urge. So it's not that they have a set time that they go, they're just, I'm hungry, I will go find something to eat, eat it, and then leave. Yeah, pretty easy. He isolated the food sources and fed them pellets. And so it made it more difficult for rats to get to the food. And so what happened is there's kind of a causal thing that would occur, which one rat would go to eat, the other rats would then follow. So rather than it being an isolated activity they would do on their own, it became a social activity. And that was the only time that they really would interact with one another other than mating. So it created this weird social construct where eating was how they would socialize with one another. And so it became less about getting sustenance so much as following the pattern set by the other rats which oh it's time to eat now so kind of the you know ringing the bell the cat will salivate kind of principle here um the dog uh, bullshit no no cats do it too i think what he's trying to say is that he thinks dogs are bullshit i couldn't agree more unless it's i know i know your opinion on this so i'm trying to stick up there i'm sorry so they also changed this later on so that they made it to where a drinking 
straw was then the thing that was controlled as opposed to having a large water trough and then drinking became the social activity. Okay. So they're trying to draw parallels to human behavior here. And so you'll kind of see where we're leading this as we proceed, but just, you know, for right. interesting points. I know this is a little bland up front, but there's a lot of things no. you have to kind and of No, and for explain. context, we're diving in right off the gate because how dense it is. Yes, we've got we, a lot We talked about through. this before we got in, that we we're just going to try and get to it, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this didn't lead to starvation, which you would expect if there's trepidation. It actually made it to where everybody was, yeah, a little more inclined to go and eat and drink when necessary. And eating was less competitive than it is in the wild because they knew there was a constant food source, so it wasn't a struggle for them. Uh, however, the togetherness did negatively impact other aspects of vital modes of behavior. Courtship of sexual partners, building of nests, and nursing and care for their young were all negatively impacted by the confined quarters. Following the work of a physiologist, Hans Seil, and the thesis of Thomas Malthus, it seemed that the adrenal system of their test subjects offered the standard binary solution, fight or flight. But in the sealed enclosure, flight was impossible, as such violence quickly spiraled out of control. Subsequently, cannibalism and infanticide followed. Whoa. Males became hypersexual, pansexual, and in increasing proportion, homosexual. So you, me, and Asher. Pretty close. <laughs> you lock you, if you lock you three in a red room... A lot of pillow biting. <laughs> so Calhoun labeled this vortex a behavioral sink, which is where their normal natural inclinations would change based on their circumstances. And so he eventually theorized, and this is going to be the fun part here, John will appreciate this. He theorized male sexuality, unchecked by the feminine maternal purpose and general empathy, will be the element most likely to lead to eventual societal collapse. Duh. Say that slower. Male sexuality, (laughs) okay, unchecked by feminine maternal purpose and general empathy. Got it. Is the element most likely to lead to eventual societal collapse? Here, let me let me describe it a little bit. Sausage fests always end badly because sausage is gross. Male sexuality unchecked by another yeah, yeah, no, stimuli no, no. is basically going to be thing that kills everybody. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I liked my description pretty. He's well. not wrong. No, you know what, Michael? <laughs> Stop and masturbating. I was going to say, I'll clap my hands it. later. <laughs> So, as evidence of his assertion, the rodent population numbers fell into terminal decline and eventually tailed off to extinction. If they had allowed everyone to remain in the enclosure, they would have ceased breeding altogether. Uh, At the experiment's end, the only animals still alive had survived at an immense psychological cost. Asexual and utterly withdrawn, they clustered in a vacant, huddled mass. Even when reintroduced to normal rodent communities, these socially autistic animals remained isolated until death. You mean acoustic? They're acoustic, yes. (laughs) In the words of one of Calhoun's collaborators, rodent utopia descended into hell. Given these bleak conclusions, Calhoun's experiments with rats and mice proved extremely influential in further research, as well as serving for the inspiration for a wealth of creations in fiction. Now, don't let that detract from all the works that came from the rat community out of this. A lot of great rat movies, a lot of great rat albums. Uh, th- through this struggle, <laughs> all the tests that they were put through, hey, listen, they really came. <laughs> Pain rat is literature. inspiration. I agree. Yes. 
So, to paraphrase some of what he said specifically in here, you will appreciate this. So, this is what he described the behavior discovered in the experiment. Many female rats were unable to carry pregnancy to full term or to survive the delivery of their litters if they did. Oh, man. An even greater number, after successfully giving birth, fell short in their maternal functions. Among the males, the behavior disturbances ranged from sexual deviation to cannibalism and from frenetic overactivity to a pathological withdrawal from which individuals would emerge to eat, drink, and move about only when other members of the community were asleep. As you do. The social organization of the animals showed equal disruption. The common source of these disturbances became most dramatically apparent in the populations of our first series of three experiments, in which we observed the development of what we called a behavioral sink. The animals would crowd together in greatest number in one of the four interconnecting pens in which the colony was maintained. As many as 60 of the 80 rats in each experimental population would assemble in one pen during periods of feeding. Individual rats would rarely eat except in the company of other rats. As a result, extreme population densities developed in the pen adopted for eating, leaving the others with sparse populations. The thing that we're not touching on here is that what happened is that there were sexually dominant males that also took over the other three cells. Mm -hmm. So... They would guard the bridge separating the enclosures and not allow other males to go across, but they would allow the females that they kept in their enclosure for breeding to pass back and forth to eat. Did they wear adorable little gladiator outfits? No. No, they wore popped collars and... I was actually... They wore pimp suits. (laughs) Because they had a pimp cup. You know that I was ahead of this meant... Yes. Please just try to imagine everything... (laughs) As them dressed up Rats in different clothes. societal yes. roles, mm-hmm. and it makes it so much better for me. Uh, uh, sorry, it's just I'm dying inside from thinking about all the outfits, yes, and costume changes, and scenery. Little changes French maid rats just running about uh, feather dusting things. Yes, since, I know. Uh, since Michael will know this, uh, it's the South Park episode with the sea monkeys. Okay, with sea society, and right? Right. He's you have he's. What's South He didn't Park? see it. Fuck. <laughs> um, before you continue, I do want to specify just for everyone that I do have a little bit of knowledge of this topic. Okay. Uh, there's a great YouTuber. His name is Frederick Knudsen. Um, he does a no series one, called Down the Rabbit Hole anymore? where he covers stuff no, these like are rats, this. Michael. <laughs> But he does like he has a twenty-two odd minute long thing on the mouse utopia experiments, where he yeah. actually does show the diagrams of uh, the most famous one, the one where you describe the four quadrants and but everything. These are rats. I deserve this. I deserve oh, yeah. this yeah. for all the times you had references in the last episode that you presented, and I just ignore them. Okay. I deserve it. I'm also, I realize this thing is a lead balloon, so I'm trying to, I will burrow through this as quickly as possible. Trying to just think so about the last time it was this dense. Was it a... Uh, Stanford pri- Prison Experiment. Yeah, this yep. reminds me exactly of yep. Prison Experiment. A lot of facts. So, <laughs> we're getting to the fun part, so just give me a moment. Oh, this is already start, fun. We'll start riffing for, on the I mean, craziness here. Because well, you're, you're, you're writing your own fan fiction as he's going. Oh, yeah, there is Sonic Sonic High going on in my head right now oh, with rats. Uh, we, <laughs> wait, don't, wait. we don't kink shame, Michael. Stop trying to put that on him. Have if he you... wants to imagine the rats in outfits fucking each other, that's fine. Did yeah, you they all act- look like me. Have you actually read Sonic High? No, but I know that it exists. There is... 
because it's kind of related because the person I just listed, he's a voice actor in it. But there's another YouTuber called The Internet Historian oh, that in God. his other channel, he actually does a live reading involving other... Do you want to tell Shane what Sonic High is? Just real, real, real quick. Um, Sonic. <laughs> Sonic, but everyone's in high school and... It's like an anime. It's like Sonic anime, but we're referring to Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes, yes. purportedly. Yes. Yes. Okay. Slice of life, Sonic, but in high school. I'm riveted. Uh, Poorly. I can tell by your erection. Yes. Well, I can't hide that. Uh, Now, for the fun part, this is a fact that just staggered me, so I had to include it. In the experiments in which a behavioral sync developed, infant mortality ran as high as ninety six percent among the most disoriented groups in the population, leveled out at about 80% overall. So 80% of the infants died, 96 in the worst cases. So 4% of the rats lived. Perhaps the strangest of all types that emerged among the males was the group that I have called the probers. These are incel motherfuckers. These animals, which always lived in the middle pens, took no part at all in the status struggle. Nevertheless, they were the most active of all the males in the experimental populations. They dressed up with puka shells and went out to... <laughs> they, in my head, they look like Tobey Maguire and Spider-Man 3. Yes, they wear fluffy hats <laughs> and cry about everything. Uh, and so the they persisted the in their yeah. activity in spite of attacks by the dominant animals. So... The gatekeepers, they would go get their ass kicked and then return back to their previous activities. In addition to being hyperactive, the probers were both hypersexual and homosexual. And in time, many of them became cannibalistic. So they were aggressively butt-fucking. Apparently. Uh, They were always on the alert for estrus females. In before incel community, they're gonna... Is this like telling the future? ESBN? I mean, apparently. They're going to start... Apparently? Apparently. Purportedly, apparently. Apparently. butt-fucking and then cannibalize. So, if there were no estrus females in their own pens, they would lie in wait for long periods at the tops of the ramps that gave on the brood pens and peer down into them. So they were, like, hard staring at the girls, like, yeah, you know you want it. I'm coming for you, Just see a rat just start licking its nipple. (laughs) Just doing a slow rub with its tail, like... (laughs) (laughs) You're thinking... Mm. (laughs) Stop touching yourself, John. Ever had rat in your mouth? Mm, You're gonna now. (laughs) Spat that. Rat trap. (laughs) They always turned and fled as soon as the territorial rat caught sight of them. Even, oh, shit, if they, that's all. <laughs> even if they did not manage to escape unhurt, they would return to their vantage point soon after. The probers conducted their pursuit of estrus females in an abnormal manner. Mating amongst rats usually involves a distinct courtship ritual. You meet her on Tinder, you send her a few messages, you take her out on a nice date, you buy her a lovely dinner, you, you don't put your again? finger in her asshole on the first time. Uh, I'm sorry, I misread you do. <laughs> so, that was on his uh, personal notes. <laughs> in the first phase of the ritual, the male pursues the female. So Twitter, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, she thereupon retires for a while into the burrow. I don't know why the Weasleys have anything to do with this, but... Fuck out of here, Ronald. And the male lies quietly in wait outside, 
occasionally poking his head into the burrow for a moment, but never entering it. So we play a game of just the tip. Just for a second. <laughs> just to see how it feels. Uh, in the wild... For the forms of the Norway rat that's the course of the study, the phase usually involves a courtship dance on the mound at the mouth of the burrow. What's the song they dance to? So you to? start flash dancing out there to, you know... Shut up and dance? Or maybe Purple Rain, if you want to get Ooh, dramatic, you know? yeah, yeah. Swing okay. that tail around a little. The female at last emerges from the burrow and accepts the male's advances. So attrition is a part of all forms of sexual activity... This Doesn't all could matter. be a Wes Anderson claymation or like stop animation movie. This it's the forty-year-old virgin in action. Basically, uh, even in disordered communities in the middle of the pens, this pattern was observed by all the males who engaged in normal heterosexual behavior. So you go, you flash dance in front of the cage. She comes out and she does a little dance with you later on. Jazz pause. The probers, however, would not tolerate even a short period of waiting at the burrows in the pens where the accessible females lived. As soon as the female retired to a burrow, a prober would follow her inside. <laughs> Not being asked, just forces his way just, in. Yeah, well, On asshole. these expeditions, the probers, of course, took advantage of the female, and then often found the dead young lying in the nests. As bullshit? a result, they tended to become cannibalistic, and later uh, in months of the population's history. Oh, I yeah, just so had this a terrible... Oh, no. Oh, now I, imagining them as characters is getting to be a little fucked up for yeah. me. I'm just going to think that they're just rats for now. Because okay. I just uh, made the connection to a, a certain beginning of a certain book that had a movie that we recently saw. Canny! Yeah. Mmm. Canny. Mm. Now, mm. on the topic of canny, uh, it's fun because <laughs> we're going to get to our sponsors this week. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> this week... Mother of Pearl. <laughs> yeah. You're going to need Pearl Jam Who's at Pearl? this point. <laughs> Grandma Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> Grab my Pearl. Do it. Uh, we are brought to you by People Meat. Living a cannibalistic lifestyle these days is difficult. Oh. Your activities are riddled <laughs> with social stigmas and extradition <laughs> treaties, and cutting the flanks off cadavers isn't exactly appetizing, now is mm-hmm. it? So how do you go about getting your preferred proteins without resorting to serial murder? Well... That's where People Meat comes in. People Meat makes it easy for you to get high-quality, humanely raised meat that you can trust. Every month, they deliver 100% protein-fed and finished long pork straight to your door with free shipping. The incredible quality of People Meat's product is ensured first by their commitment to humanely raised humans that are never given antibiotics or added hormones. Next, all meat is harvested and packaged at the peak of freshness, shipped with dry ice in individual vacuum-sealed pouches, and sent straight to your home. Eat the meat you've always dreamt of with no blood on your hands whatsoever. Our collection of Eastern European and Asian ranches believe in the healthier food system, where everyone has access to the meat as nature intended, free of antibiotics and hormones, and without judgment and stigma of so-called civilized society. People Meat ensures that you can get quality cuts of mindless mouth breathers with no formal charges, due process, or fear of Turkish prisons. Just mouth-watering morsels at premium prices. Each pack comes to you with 11 pounds of prepackaged person, each tailored cut to your exact specifications. And at only $1,500 a month, you won't believe how affordably you can consume your favorite human organs. Use our offer code MEETME at checkout to get free spleens for the life of your subscription, plus an additional 20% off your first box. That's offer code MEETME at checkout for spleens and 20% off 
at peoplemeet.org. People meet. It tastes like freedom. Now, important question. It says free from, you know, antibiotics and all that. Mm -hmm. Does it still have fear? Because I need the fear to be in the meat. Because fear in the meat is what makes the meat taste you can, good. You can specify that. In, it's in part of your meat selection. Oh, program. I can do that. It's yeah, kind of like yeah. an ad ranch on yes, my Grubhub. Exactly. Yeah. They okay. Also... Cool. So as long as they're f- afraid before they die, that's yeah. That's they don't put any antibiotics in them. That's it. I mean, well, they'll still good. chase them around with a chainsaw. What if I want them to have them? a tint of heroin? I mean, you. The John Frusanti version of it is available. You just have to kind of. He's wait back for from it. the dead. And you'll eat them soon. So. <laughs> yeah. I do appreciate that they give different options for peak freshness. Yes. You can always order a sort of veal-like if you want, mm-hmm. if you like them a little more tender. Or you can have them aged a bit, too. Hey, listen, if we've learned anything from Albert Fish, it's that the buns are always the tastiest part of the small people. So we want to make sure that we get that as I a specified option. never thought I would understand such a horrible and dark reference uh, I want my Shane Hunt uh, obscure okay. reference award sticker. Yes, you'll please. have a sticker by the end Sean, of this show. Thank you. Guaranteed. Sean huh? Sean Hunt's huh? Uh, obscure Sean <laughs> Hunt. So, uh, thank yeah. you for People Meet. We're, we're so happy to have you as a sponsor, and it's a niche audience, but, you know, someone somewhere is going to want to eat somebody. Yeah, we don't shame anybody. I just want to eat except somebody. Everyone. Every I want to feel person, the heat of every somebody. Single one. I don't kink shame. I mean, you I are don't kink shame. shame. I'm ashamed of my meat, but I don't meet shame. So, controversy exists <laughs> over the implications of Calhoun's experiment. The uh, psychologist Jonathan Friedman's experiment recruited high school and university students to carry out a series of experiments that measured the effects of density on their behavior. He measured their stress, discomfort, aggression, competitiveness, and general unpleasantness. He declared to found no appreciable negative effects. Now, granted, this took place in 1975. I'm also fairly certain he didn't separate the kids from each other with an electrified fucking fence. So, you might have a different set of stimuli that's created there. Ethics these days. I just, it's difficult when you try to draw a correlation, you know, to animal behavior and human behavior. It's just, we're always going to have a weird thing. But, uh, anyway, continuing. The researchers argued that Calhoun's work was not simply about density in a physical sense, as number of individuals per square unit area, but about the degrees of social interaction. So, how is this happening? Is because of the food source being restricted and all these other things. Now, with that said, there's also a social psychologist named David Bixenspan, who concluded in an article in Scientific American in July 2017 that there is a definite parallel present when viewing the Y generation, which is this current batch, a group whose social behaviors are greatly impacted by population density, aided by a profound sense of social detachment due to the ready availability of technology, which acts as a sort of social prosthesis. Wait, you mean Gen Z? Because technically we're Gen Y. You're right, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes, okay. that's. I must have actually written that down improperly. Because yeah. so. we're millennials, we're the, because Gen X is before us. Correct. I, I still consider you millennial. You should. Even though technically I'm like a Xenial, I think is how they call it. It's like oh, that micro-generation. So yeah, I'm 1981. For oh, the then I guess technically you would count as the end of a, a Gen Z. Yes, I, but I, I'm at the end. I'm basically still technically considered a millennial, but yeah. let's, I digress. Yeah, but in any event, this is the funny... So, uh, <laughs> so with the social prosthesis, he says, Could it be that the escapist nature of technological dependency is a symptom of population density? So uh, Bixenspan's essentially asking... 
Is this the societal coping mechanism to help abate the agitation and insecurity of living on top of one another for prolonged periods? So saying we see a lot of the same habits in modern day teenagers and early adults in that they're socially withdrawn. They won't answer the door when the doorbell rings. They have difficulty interacting with one another in person, which is why all of these apps like you can't hail a cab anymore. You have to have an app that you call somebody who's not a licensed driver and you know all this other nonsense like he makes a lot of really bizarre parallels to saying how this generation is sort of showing the okay, end result boomer. of population density i know <laughs> it's kind of nuts <laughs> nice but uh i i also work in a group that is talking about this in our customer service model and saying that oh. they're having difficulties with having individuals approaching like someone of my generation interacting with someone who's in you know 18 or 19 at the moment doesn't know how to approach another human being, doesn't know how to... They actually talk about it like, oh, this is a problem. Like, kids today don't like to approach other people. They don't know how to initiate conversations. Really bizarre stuff. I can I can actually, like, attest to that uh, mm-hmm. a little bit. I, I would say that the ki- the students, I can't say they're kids because they're college age. Right. But the students I teach, like, I'm definitely seeing, like, even going back from, like, the first time I taught to more now... They're more hesitant to ask questions, even if I could see that they're genuinely struggling and that a lot of them don't necessarily like working with groups and ra- would rather be on their phones or something mm. like that. Like I'll, like, I'll also say that I have a decent deal of social anxiety. I don't like dealing with people I don't know. No. And, yeah, uh, you might not have seen it because, well, maybe. We're on a podcast but, right now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, but. Clip it. I. <laughs> ouch um but typically when i'm in very large groups that of people that i don't know i'm very quiet and withdrawn yeah, yeah but i'll eventually warm up it feels different when trying to interact with some of these other students where like i'll see that they might not be doing the work or something like that or they're doing it and they're not doing it well right so i have to be a lot more attentive to those like especially the more younger students so i am i do see yeah, that yeah I mean, um, the microcosm they pointed to in the course of the article, which stood out to me, was the fact that you can see, whereas in my generation, groups of individuals would go out and intake, you know, part in activities together. Now you have groups of teenagers sitting at a table together, all of them on their phones, none of them interacting with the individuals that are in their actual proximity, but interacting with other people from afar, or they have to text each other while sitting close to one another. So there's a, there has to be some sort of a detachment present. So... I don't see how that, again, correlates to the way that a rodent population behaved in the 60s, but yeah, no. I mean, Uh, I'll I'll attribute the incel movement to behavioral sync, but other than that, like... I feel they're called probers. Fun. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> R slash the inquisitors. <laughs> so uh, we'll paraphrase a bit of this. So the article that was originally published in '62 came at a time where overpopulation was a subject of great interest, and so uh, there was a lot of cultural influences that kind of came to bear at the same time. So people were really interested by it, and this was directly referenced in works of fiction, uh, many of which uh, you know had like a profound influence on things that were published later on. So. Calhoun then phrased much of his work in anthropomorphic terms in a way that made his ideas highly accessible to a lay audience. Anthropomorphic, for those playing at home, means that it's given human characteristics. So the interpretation is is that humans would behave similarly, so let's put clothing on the rats and somehow make them humanized. Ooh, come full circle. So Tom Wolfe then wrote in his con- uh, t- wrote about this concept in the article, Oh, Rotten Gotham, sliding down into the behavioral oh, sink. 
Which was later uh, made into the last chapter of the Pump House Gang. That's a that sounds porn like title a ter- for you. Damn it! Starring uh, Madison Ivy, no less. Yes, indeed. Uh, so then, Lewis Mumford, which I, again, a lot of these names. Oh, I was drinking. I couldn't. <laughs> Uh, so many people say that these days. It also referenced Calhoun's work in the City in History, stating no small part of one of our bandmates keeps texting us, and it keeps popping in the middle of right where I'm trying to read, and I am going to kill her. And you should just moment. call her and say, "Hey, I'm recording. Can you leave me the fuck alone?" It would be nice. So no small part of this ugly barbaration has been due to sheer physical congestion. A diagnosis now partly confirmed with scientific experiments with rats, for when they are placed in equally congested quarters, they exhibit the same symptoms of stress, alienation, hostility, sexual perversion, parental incompetence, and rapid violence that we now find in the Megalopolis. Megalopolis? (laughs) Megalopolis. (laughs) I thought you were going to lead into something. No, no. no. I'll have you know. So now, the fun part. Calhoun's work was subsequently referenced in comic books, including Batman, and later as a foundation for the character Judge Dredd in 2000 AD, where again we see a vast overpopulation that is controlled through excessive violence. And yeah, uh, yeah, interesting. Calhoun essentially uh, pointed to the social breakdown as a spiritual death uh, with reference to bodily death, and the second death mentioned in the biblical book of Revelation... Okay, I'm, I've had enough Calhoun. But uh, yeah. later on, Calhoun's work with rats like a inspired mm-hmm. a 1971 children's book, Ooh. Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, by Robert C. Oh. O'Brien, which was then subsequently adapted into a 1982 animated film, The Secret of Nim. Oh. Nim, by the way, as we all recall, That's is... That's why you eye-fucked me when you said Nim early, early, yes. mm-hmm. very I early on. I... I, I know. actually sit up because I slid down in my chair. <laughs> I knew she had an about active the, orgasm. I did. Uh, I'm going to have to clean that up. Um, no, we'll uh-huh. clean it up. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I know that I've heard about the, the National Institute of Mental Health before, mm-hmm. but I and I even have seen some video that dissected the secret of NIM with that context. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I never made the connection NIM and... Well, and now, go back and watch the film or read the book in relation to this experiment. It puts an entirely new complexion on the story. It's uh, it's quite strange. Because, of course, Mrs. Frisbee's husband is a part of the experiment. And then they have these hyper-intellectual rats that are also part of the experiment that were brought back and try to create their own colony. And it's a weird sort of utopian bit. Very odd. So, in any event, in summation, we're finally to the end here, boys. Uh, Ooh, I can boy. see it. Towards the end of his career, Calhoun, who died in 1995, uh, he was not a prober, thank you, I'm sorry. He would be increasingly dismayed that it was a simplified negative message, population density equals pathology, that was more commonly associated with his work, making his contribution seem not only flawed in the human context, but dangerous. Uh, in the words of the sociologists Fisher and Baldassare, <laughs> Baldassare, Baldassare, a red-eyed, sharp-fanged obsession about urban life stalks contemporary thought. 
Mm. So there's a happy uplifting yeah. moment for you. That's three deep five me, man. Oh my lord. So in focusing upon crowding, not only were the benefits of dense city living ignored, like because we'd never have that John Mayer song City Love. Uh she leaves her toothbrush in my place. Yes, yes. As if I have the extra space. Uh, such as poverty and equality. Poverty and inequality. Oh, man. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to start singing over. In focusing upon crowding, not only were the benefits of dense city living ignored, but other causes of human pathology, such as poverty and inequality, were neglected. So yet Calhoun's works is uh, considered... Yet Calhoun's work considered many of these factors, suggested how they could be overcome, and as such, his role deserves reconsideration. Hmm. That was okay. a lot of stuff Ooh. to kind of like try to boil down to bare bones here, because yeah. there's, it, like I was telling John earlier, it was an 11-page report <laughs> in Scientific American oh, I that I had to read really, for I his thought... alone, and then other people breaking down the report as to what the yeah. social mores and things were that were implied in it. So how'd you, how'd you fuck us How did, how did I get the lie by? Yeah. Uh, no other end guests here before I... Uh... No, I tried to call one, and we just kind of moved... When you mentioned that you were doing it, I'm like, oh, I'll catch those lies because, you know, I watched the video on it. Also, and this I is know the first listener it. request one, so I was trying just to take the Let info. And I knew yeah. about the 11 page, so I kind of just wanted to yeah. hear what you, what you have. I All mean, right. it's an interesting topic. That is true. I agree. So, lie number one. There were is, no rats. Uh, they did wear costumes from the start. <laughs> yes, they actually they, had them all wearing dresses like the Stanford Prison Experiment because he wanted to emasculate the rats. Mm-hmm. And it worked. So, um, this was... I. It's funny because you've known me for a long time, John, so I'm amazed you didn't call me on this because uh-huh. this was actually something I claimed for a long time. Uh, so, the theory that male sexuality unchecked by feminine maternal purpose and general empathy is the element most likely to lead to eventual sexual collapse... That is a Shane quote. That is not something theorized. <laughs> I have always said that male sexuality unchecked by a woman's rationale and logic is the most deadly weapon on the planet. Oh, I totally... I uh, okay. No, I think I, it got overshadowed by my favorite uh, Shane one, which uh-huh. is that you are, or we are, but for the quote, you are uh, living, breathing proof that you can't fuck crazy with impunity. Yes. <laughs> That is, that's going on a t-shirt at some point. Can that, please? Yes. I would buy it. That's a Coffee podcast mug. shirt. Hey, yeah, when we, when we start doing swag, that'll be the okay. first one. Living, uh, breathing proof you can't fuck crazies with impunity. So the reason why I didn't call that out was because I honestly thought, given the context of like when it was written, mm-hmm. which was the late 50s, sexism uh, it was still very mm-hmm. rampant. Yeah. I mean, was it Mad Men is a great... Co- Hey, do you watch Mad Men? No, but have you heard the theme? I but, have heard the theme song. <laughs> but that and the Wolf of Wall Street, like, same similar era, right. very, very sexist, though I think that, that was more the 70s, yes. I guess. But still, like, that rampant sexism, like, that comment elicited those sort of emotions to me. So mm. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And considering that the rampant homosexuality and, and the, hypersexuality the, and the, the pansexuality and all that all that stuff yes that made sense to me and so blew it right over my head yep it's i tried to ensconce it and it made sense in the context of the conversation so yeah. that's lie number one lie number two is that there is a social psychologist named david Bixenspan who wrote an article that relates to this in 2017 all of that nonsense is me 
So uh, the that's why the, I was waiting for you to tell. I wanted to make a joke, but yeah, honestly, I wanted to make a joke on Bixen's fan. Also, was it Bixen's last episode fans. with uh, with Broom? Huh? Was it you with Broom? Oh, Tra- uh, it ends Broom? with an E. No, Fiona Broom, B R O O M E. Oh, Fiona. Broom. What do you stand for? <laughs> uh, probably is something like Bromie or something. There are three people probably listening to this. There is uh, David Bixen's fan is actually a journalist that covers professional wrestling. So of course you'll it fucking this. is. Yeah, uh, but that's why I stole the name because I was like, there's three people that listen to you know the 605 Super Podcast who are going to get a kick out of the fact that I drop that but also why i screwed up with the y generation and didn't say generation z because i didn't know what the hell i was talking about so you could have you prance you you know you pounced on it and you didn't actually nail the dismount so you were on the trail you had it in the wild you just let it go because well okay because i've never made up i've never made up full sections that were complete i don't think fabrications yeah no, that was a paragraph and a half of me just bullshitting about Man. what the correlation is to the current, you know, generation. And uh, I even improvised the bit about the teenagers and the cell phones not interacting. Uh, with so. I mean, I Vamping. said the OK Boomer because, like, the kids these days they yeah. need to interact. OK with... Zennial. Yep. Thank you. Zoomer. So Zoomer. <laughs> I've heard that. Zoomer sooner. Yeah. Go tide. Oh, Jesus Christ. Roll Damn tide, Zoomers. indeed. Uh, so, so that's that's it. That's what I want. Do you want to also appropriate? I don't. My, no elevator. <laughs> I pitch? could care less about the elevator pitch. They've already listened oh. to the episode, so I don't see what thirty seconds at the end of having sat through this I is going like to get Michael's you. elevator pitches. Yeah, and that's I great. Liked and you can the keep one going. time I did. All right, well, I guess there were a bunch of rats. At, listen, this is the summation. Okay. In spite all their rage, they were still just rats in a cage. <laughs> You know what? Accidentally works. Yeah. 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 The world is a vampire. I will take your sarcasm seriously. Good. Well, I think that is going to do it for this riveting and rat-like edition of the Disinformed Podcast. Thank you all for hanging out with us. We sincerely appreciate it. If you want to check us out on the networks, which are social, if you want to avoid contact with your friends sitting in a booth somewhere and stare at your cell phone as opposed to actually talking to people, you can do so. Find us on Instagram at Disinformed Podcast. We're at Facebook.com slash Disinformed Podcast. And on Twitter at Disinformed Pod. If you like what we do, go ahead, give us a, a rate us and review... I yeah, screwed rate that up. Us so hard. Rate, yes, yes, rate us. Rate, oh, please don't. If you like what we do, rate and review. Go find us on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play and give us a, a happy and rousing rendition of why you love our silly little chatterbox podcast. But until next time, I am Shane. I'm John. And I'm Michael. Thank you for coming. Don't worry, we'll clean it up with rats dressed up as adorable gladiators. Red rat. Red rat. Red rat in your mouth, bitch. <laughs> <laughs>